0: That all of social media, everything about social media is built on this single premise. Is that people want to be affirmed. People are looking for affirmation. If it wasn't so, why would the like button be there? Right? If nobody was looking for affirmation, if everybody was looking to just be turned off, the only button that would be there to post on, to, to, when you look at somebody else's pictures or comments, would all be the dislike button. Right? Who likes the dislike button? Don't be shy to give an answer. Raise your hand. Sometimes I read something or I see something I was like, where's the, where's the uh, dislike button here? Because whatever it is, just, eh, it's not my thing. Yeah, the sad face, that's what it is, or the, angry, the angry emoji. All of social media is built on the premise that people are looking for affirmation. That's why it's become such a huge part of society. In 2021, statistics show that it's a $116 billion advertising platform. $116 billion advertising platform, social medias, and they, uh, it has tripled since 2019. So in two years, it's tripled from $36 billion to $116 billion just as an advertising platform for other companies. Social media companies made $153 million in 2021 and it's expected to hit 252 oh excuse me yeah 153 billion in 2021 it's expected to hit 252 billion by 2026 they're not making money let's just be real about this they're not going to make a nickel if people aren't affirmed in their platform because that's what everybody's looking for. That's essentially what they're selling. They're selling an opportunity for people to be affirmed. So if affirmation then is what we desire, is what mankind desires, what is the one thing beside taxes that none of us like then? What do we have to be prepared for? And I'm not talking about losing a playoff game yesterday. I was prepared for the Seahawks. Who was prepared for the Seahawks to lose? Who was still frustrated that they lost? I was frustrated, but you have to put it in context. They have a young team, right? And uh, they have a quarterback that doesn't run the ball too much. I won't get off into too far into my football analysis, but uh, it drove me nuts all afternoon yesterday. The one thing that nobody likes besides taxes the one thing that though that we have to be prepared for and it's the one thing really that Jesus addresses in Mark chapter 6 is this and i'll guarantee you none of you came to hear this message today i guarantee you none of them said none of you said hey let's go to church this morning pack up the kids make sure they got a shower pack them up let's go to church and let's hear about rejection uh, who came with the, who came with the idea that you would come to church today and hear something about rejection nobody did it was not on anybody's mind probably but mine and i'm sitting here thinking how in the world do you give a message to people how do you how do you share god's word well that's just it we're just going to look at god's word and take it for what it says that's the way you do it but nobody likes a message of rejection but i will guarantee you this brothers and sisters in the lord as christ followers we better be ready We better be ready. And Jesus does a phenomenal job about dealing with rejection of himself and also preparing his people for it. We've been in the Gospel of Mark. We've made it all the way to chapter 6. And uh, just a little zigzag through Mark so far as Jesus and his companions have gone back and forth across the Sea of Galilee uh, we've seen some highlights throughout the first five chapters, this powerful preaching that was the emphasis, the emphasis that he had from the get-go. It wasn't the miracles, the miracles affirmed, or they, they, they uh, demonstrated God's power, but it was power that was demonstrated to back up the message, so preaching was his primary ministry. But we have seen the miracles as well. We've seen people who were once enslaved to demonic control, now set free, and Five chapters. We've seen people who've had these long-term illnesses now healed, and of course, the last thing that we looked at at the end of chapter five was a young girl who was brought back to life. Now here, now here in chapter five and six, we see uh, also where people are, where the crowds are really building. Uh, Jesus' ministry has grown a lot of momentum. And, and people are pushing in. In fact, that was a lot of what we talked about last week. You know, just these huge crowds, they just keep coming. And all the way through chapter 6, we're going to see that same thing. Like the crowds just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And more and more people, they're pushing in on every side of them. And then this storyline takes a strange turn. Grab your Bibles or follow along on the screen with me. Mark chapter 6 starts off. It says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country. His disciples followed him, and when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. <clears throat> now he could do no mighty works there except that he lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching, and he called the twelve disciples to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits he commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff no bag no bread no copper in their money belts but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics also he said to them in whatever place you enter a house stay there till you depart from that place and whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there shake off the dust under v- under your feet as a testimony against them as sure as I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for, <clears throat> than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. we'll stop there at the end of verse 13. This last... Weeks passage we saw where Jesus had called was called by Jairus to come quick and heal his daughter. I had mentioned that prior to reading the first part of chapter six, and on that way, of course, Jesus touched was touched by a lady that, that had been struggling for twelve years. That was one of the miracles I'd re- referred to. Uh, she had she had a, an, an unending flow of of blood for twelve years. Both got healed. The lady got healed publicly, the, the young girl got healed privately, but both receive God's grace and mercy in their situation. And both parties are really truthful. We talked about that last week, how, how being honest with God about your situation, that there's a dynamic there that God is looking for in His people. There's a dynamic that God is looking for in, in those who don't believe it even, and that's just to be truthful about their situation. And both exercised faith that Jesus would deal with their crisis. Now Jesus here travels to from where He was on the southwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. He goes north to Nazareth. Verse 1 there says, and He came to His own country. Of course, that's where He's talking about going back to Nazareth. And Pick it up in verse 2. And when the Sabbath had come, He began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing Him were astonished they were astonished maybe your version says amazed amazed saying where did this man get these things and what wisdom is it which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands jesus returned to the people that he was raised with and their welcome home party was really let's say this less than edifying it, his welcome hey, welcome in, welcome in. I, I don't know anybody that this really happens to in this sort of a way. Like usually when there's a homegrown person, a guy or a gal that makes it big, like I can think how many years ago was it we, we all flocked to the city park to listen to Alan Stone play, you know, here's a hometown guy, learned to play the guitar right here, you know, learned, was leading worship right here on this stage. You know, now he's, you know, world-renowned artist, so and so forth, so when he comes back and does a little old Chautauqua you know, thousands of people show up. So they want to be supportive. They want to say, hey, how's he doing, you know? Uh, Jesus didn't get that. When Jesus goes back to Nazareth, he, he, his, it's, it's less than edifying, to say the least. Less than edifying. And there's three words that I kind of want to hone in on in chapter 6 this morning through this first part of the passage and a couple words once we get to the next part of it. That we'll look at but the first word that I want to look at is this word astonished they were astonished the people were astonished at Jesus by what he had to say why were they so astonished why were they so amazed here's a thought for you the people had a hard time seeing through the veil of the ordinariness of Jesus can you give me a glass of water they had a hard time seeing through the fact that, hey, this is, this is the guy that, you know, that, that we grew up around. Uh, th- this is the guy that, that built our home. This is the guy that, that uh, as a kid, him and his dad, they, they worked for us, or they worked down the street. And so the people had a hard time. They were amazed, sure, but they had a hard time seeing past the veil of Jesus' ordinariness. And they couldn't get past it. They couldn't get past it. Look at his Jesus spreadsheet of life so far. He had no formal training. He, didn't have, uh, he, he had no rabbinical background per se. He had no political history uh, anywhere in Israel. He never led uh, any kind of a, uh, a group or he never led any other than these 12 guys that he'd gathered up. He'd never led any kind of an army. He never, he never was a part of any kind of you know, anti-government anything, which was a lot of, with, there was a lot of friendly sentiment, uh, not sentiment, uh, sentiment in Israel towards that mentality because they were tired of the Roman oppression. He, he wasn't a part of that. He didn't come up through any ranks per se in that regard. Thank you, dear. So these people were amazed. They were amazed when Jesus shows up and starts teaching with this band of misfit followers that he had with him, uh, which were made up of those types of uh, of different people. Simon the Zealot, very anti-government, you know, anti-Rome. You know, you had Matthew the tax collector on the other hand who was who had, you know, up until Jesus calling him was working for the Roman government and was kind of, you know, in the Jewish eyes a sellout. And here Jesus shows up By all appearances, though, an ordinary guy, but he was just, he was an ordinary guy that was doing extraordinary things. He was an ordinary guy that was now doing extraordinary things, and they were astonished and amazed, but here's my guess, they were not impressed. You, you, can, you can be amazed by something, but not necessarily impressed. A lot of times we just lump the two words together as, a, as the same thing, that, you know, that, that man, that's amazing, and then we're really impressed by whatever that thing is. Uh, not necessarily the case. These guys were shocked, for sure. They were astonished, but probably not too impressed. And so they doubted and they questioned Jesus. That's where their rejection reveals itself. And I'm here to tell you that in your life and in your situation and whatever that you're currently going through or whatever you may go through from today forward, if you bump into like, these feelings of, man, why, am, why is there so much pushback against who I am or, or what I believe? Mm. Largely, that pushback will come through these two words through being doubted and being questioned. So look at the things that they questioned about Jesus. The people questioned the authenticity of Jesus' message. They questioned the authenticity of Jesus' message. Where is he, where is he getting this? What, what's going on here? They were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things, it says? And what wisdom in is it which is given to him? They also question the source of his wisdom they question the authenticity of his message they question the source of his wisdom remember they're having a hard time seeing through the veil of the Jesus that they grew up with and the third thing is which was meant to display god's power through the god man was they question the power of his miracles they question the power of his miracles look there in verse 2 What wisdom is it which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands. Mighty works are performed by Jesus' hands. The question of the authenticity, the source, and the power. All three of these, all three of these get lumped together in one category. They were questioning Jesus' identity and his connection with the Father. That's what they were questioning. And so, isn't it logical then to say for us, his, his followers, 2,000 years later, that those sorts of things are going to be questioned in, in your life, or they'll be questioned, and they already have been? I can think of many times where these things have been questioned in my life. You know, uh, who gives you the right to say, fill in the blank? By, by, what, by what authority or what power are you, you know, uh, 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 talking there, Mark? Know, we've we've all faced those sorts of doubts, we've all faced those types of uh, uh, questions, or we're going to face them. My guess is we'll face them with increasing message, uh, uh, increasing uh, momentum as time goes forward. Then, of course, these townsfolk there in Nazareth, they made it personal. They made it personal. First they question his identity, then they make it personal because they mock his occupation. Ah, he's just a carpenter. Hey, let me guess, uh, not all of us, a few of us here are carpenters, I would presume. Nail benders. Nail benders. <laughs> I'm impressed when I see a carpenter hard at work. I'm impressed with the job that they do, the wisdoms they have. I've done a little bit of carpentry just part-time over the years, hel- you know, helping out friends and, and that sort of thing. And uh, and uh, a friend of mine years ago, we, I used to work in the winter. Uh, I used to work, and we'd either hang drywall or do carpentry. But uh, a friend of mine, we were joking one day at work, and because uh, just, I'm just learning all this new, you know. I'd never done drywall before, I mean, I... I don't know. I, I didn't know all the tics, tricks and the tips to make it work and make it look good. And uh, so I was joking about it, you know, just how much I was learning, just soaking it in. And this buddy of mine who's paying me by the hour, he says, you know, we got a few things backwards here. He says, you should be paying me. Yeah, I mean, you're getting an education here in carpentry. You should be paying me. So like, okay, let's not take it too far. Um, but they made it personal. They mocked his occupation, they mocked his occupation, you know, there might be some time in your past or in your future, or maybe even your present where you're struggling with somebody that uh, kind of makes fun of you for what you do, or makes fun of you for, for how you're going about raising your kids, uh, or making fun of you for, you know, uh, come on, really, you, 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 won't watch your, you won't let your kids watch that, really, you know. There's a sense out there where society is pretty cruel and pretty brutal. Be ready for it. They mocked his occupation. They mocked then also his lineage where it says there, the son of Mary. This was not, we read this looking back, seeing the whole story, having the whole context. This was not a compliment. This was a slander towards Jesus. To mock his lineage by saying the son of Mary. Now it's true, but in that culture, in that day, everything ran through the dad. Everything ran through the father of the family. So everything was was run uphill. So you know, so if it's if it's Daniel's son sitting next to him here, that you know that's that's giving honor and and respect and and uh, you know prestige to the Davis family you're speaking of of Jackson, but you're speaking of Jackson via Daniel. That's what was culturally normal. Uh, They put the spin on it, and they said the son of Mary, which was true. We know it's factually true, but culturally it's a slam. Culturally, it's like saying he didn't have a dad at all. And they made fun of his siblings. They made fun of his siblings as well. So in the beginning of this part you see that they they try to come against Jesus identity and his connection with the father. Then they come against his identity and his connection as a human. As a human, when the enemy's trying to take us out, he devalues our God-given areas of identity. He devalues our God-given areas of identity. This is all part, if, if you're facing any rejection in this life, and, and we, will all, <laughs> we will all suffer in some capacity in this life. We'll all struggle with some sort of rejection in this life. It's going to boil down to these two things. Your identity as a Christ follower and your identity then also as a human. It's kind of the old-fashioned saying, familiarity breeds contempt. Uh, that's what these guys were struggling with. That's what they were struggling with there in Nazareth. And the, the people's familiarity with Jesus made it harder, not easier, to believe the gospel message. It made it harder, not easier, to believe the gospel mef- message. And if there's one thing that I'm constantly troubled by as an elder, there's one thing through all the years of church leadership that, that, that wakes me up at night, one thing that kind of puts me in cold sweat, uh, it's not necessarily all the lost people out there. It's the lost people in here. I'll just put it that way. That familiarity with Jesus would just be a normal status quo, but there wouldn't be any relationship, there wouldn't be any connection. Constantly concerned about that, that people would be around Jesus and then miss the message. Because their familiarity closes their eyes and their ears to who Jesus is. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. Don't let it be you that grows up in the church and just kind of hangs around because it's a normal thing to do. Uh, and, and, and you're here and you're listening and you're taking it in. But, it, but the power of God through Christ makes no difference in your life. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. All the stats point to the fact that young people ages 18 to 25 are leaving the church at record rates. Why is that? Why is it that our young people, as they uh, generally speaking in the church, not speaking specifically just about our church, but in a broad statement, the church in America, the 18 to 25-year-olds are leaving their faith at a record rate or what they confess to be their faith the highest rate, the rate that the, the category in America that's on the increase the most are the nuns. Not N-U-N, not that group, N-O-N-E. Those that say when they fill out a survey, what's your religious affiliation? They say none. That's the that's the group that's on a dramatic increase in America. I will propose to you that the diff, excuse me, that's the difference between all the people that Jesus had healed and the townspeople of Nazareth. It's the same concept. That those that, 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 that step out in faith, those of us that, that follow Christ, that at some point in your life, you've stepped out and said, yes, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And then the other people, the people of the city of Nazareth, that knew a lot about Jesus, they had a lot of, a lot of history with Jesus, they had some context with Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. They didn't know his purpose. They didn't know his plan. And they didn't know his message. That's the difference. That's the difference, I believe, in our young people in America leaving the Christian faith and those that stay. All the healed people had gotten to the, a place of utter despair in their trials. They needed a solution to their problem. They needed Jesus, and I'm laughing because I'm looking at my notes here. For those of you that know that I'm, I, we also farm for a living, and I'm deeply connected, all of our feed goes to, to my good friend uh, Nathan and Bill Carlson. They own a dairy up in Summit Valley. So, so th- this is probably just like the farmer's reflex when you're typing, but as I, was, I remember I was typing these notes And uh, yesterday morning, and uh, I'm typing up all the healed people that got into the place of utter despair, and I typed it with two D's instead of two T's. (laughs) You you can take the boy off the farm, but you can't take the farm out of the boy. Ain't that right, Jason? Why do I remember these things in the middle of an important point? I have no idea. I just looked at that word, and it kind of jumped off the page. Finally getting a joke that is funny. <laughs> for all these years, the people in the first five chapters that we've seen that Jesus has healed, they all had gotten to a spot where there's no other option. We saw that last week with the lady that was struggling. that had been bleeding for 12 years. She got to the point, it's like, there is no other option in life. I'm flat broke paying the doctors and it's done no good. And I got one shot at this thing because here comes this guy that people have been talking about and the buzz is about and, 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 and you're hearing the stories of the people that he's healed and I got no other option. If I can just reach out and grab, just, just touch him. She had no other, utter despair describes her scenario. Jairus shows up last week. We looked at this as well. I don't want to repeat last week's message, but it, but it all comes together. The, the reason why they stand out differently than the people of Nazareth is they had gotten to, Jarius last week had gotten to utter despair for his daughter. No other option. Got to find this guy. I got to get him to our house. I got to get him to heal my girl. Hey, there's no pain like kid pain. If that's been a struggle, if that's been a part of the rejection, if that's been a part of the issue in in your story, you understand it. But I'll tell you, there's no pain like kid pain when your kid's hurting, when your kid needs a touch from Jesus. Don't withhold. Do all you can do, parents, to bring Jesus to your kids. See, the people of Nazareth, they looked the part They talked the part. They were part of the society. But in the end, they didn't demonstrate that they really had any need for Jesus. That's where the mocking comes from. That's where the questioning comes from. That's where the astonishment comes from. Rather than that, they, they really missed an opportunity. And they missed the message. They missed a chance to have their own sense of Jesus' touch in their lives. And not only that... Not only did they miss it, it wasn't that they just missed it and the story ends. No, they, they went further. If you can imagine going further than rejecting the Savior, they went further. The next word that we want to look with, look at shows up in verse 3, and that's the word offended. Rather, they were offended. They were offended. How? how, how, how? This guy over here in the far corner will tell you, uh, he told me years ago, he says, if the Bible offends you, he says, Mark, you probably need to be offended. And he was right. But my question is, is, when the Messiah shows up on the scene, when Jesus shows up in your life, why would you be offended? That's the question that's been in my mind all week, looking at this passage, reading it through, studying it through. Why would you be offended that somebody as awesome as Jesus, God in the flesh, would show up and, and desire to deal with your issues? Why would that be offensive? I couldn't figure it out. Believe though that their sense of being offended is born out of an envy, and that envy blocked the work of Jesus there in Nazareth. It's the only reasonable, in my mind, a, a reasonable explanation. Uh, you, you know, somebody this powerful is not supposed to come from here, but if he came from here, well, why not me then? Well, sorry. Sorry there, Mr. Jewish fella, you weren't born of a virgin (laughs) 30 years earlier. I don't know. I don't know the answer. Somewhere in there, that offense cropped up. My guess is that it comes from a sense of envy. And Jesus' work was limited in the climate then of unbelief. In the the sense Jesus' power was limited by the unbelief of his countrymen. Now, is that to say that he didn't have God's miraculous power? No, I'm not saying that. But there is a connection between the belief side of it and the work of Christ, which leads us to our third word then. Our third word is the word marveled in verse 6 and speaking of Jesus. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Here's what's interesting. Jesus was just as shocked at Nazareth's response to him is they were astonished at who he revealed himself to be. He, he, marveled at their, he marveled at their unbelief. They were amazed because he was doing the works of God. He was marveling for the fact that his townspeople people that he'd grown up with, the people that he'd done life with for three decades were now not believing. He marveled because of their unbelief. There's two things that Jesus marvels at in the Bible, just two things. He marvels at the unbelief of those who were called to believe, the Jews, speaking of the Jews there in Nazareth. And the second thing that he marvels at is the faith of the centurion in Luke chapter 7 verse 9 who is a Gentile. This is Gentile. It's kind of a strange scenario. Jesus here is marveling because the people that he grew up with won't accept him. Then down the trail away, ways, he marvels at the people that his people wouldn't accept believe in faith. We never read that Jesus marveled at art or architecture or even wonders of creation so much. He never marveled at human ingenuity and invention he didn't marvel at the piety of the jewish people or the military dominance of the roman empire but jesus did marvel he marvelled at faith uh, i would venture to say and step out on a limb and say that your faith in christ is that same has that same effect has that same effect A lot of times we grow up in church with this idea that you know that God's just this angry God, ready to strike us with lightning bolts, ready to you know drop the plagues on us every time we you know say a bad word or you know, Uh, guess what? When you exercise faith, uh, in other words, that's not the picture at all, really. Uh, Not that God won't judge in His own time in His own way, but do we understand, loved ones, that Jesus marvels every time you step out in faith? It's crazy to even think about. That, that, that when you believe in faith that, that He has a better plan than what you could ever come up with, that what I could ever come up with, that Jesus is marveling at faith. That's, that's insane to think about. When you step forward, not sure where that step's going to take you, not sure what that's going to mean down the road, but that you're trusting that God has a good plan because He loves you and He cares for you, and He's going to see you through to the end because you trust in Him? That that, that, that that faith that you're exercising in that moment, that there's some marveling going on? That's crazy to think about. It's awesome to think about. Jesus marveled at faith when it was presented in an unexpected place, and when it was absent from where it should have been. And Jesus experiences his own hometown rejection, and then he prepares his followers to experience the same. Then he, ex- he, he prepares his guys to perhaps experience the same. Let's read on, cover a few more bases. Man, I better speed it up. Verse 7, and he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Two more words from this, verses 7 through 9 in Mark 6. The two words that come to my mind that stand out the most is called and commanded. Jesus called the twelve to Himself. And then He commanded them on how then to walk. His followers were called to follow and commanded them to pack light. I'll put it in that. I'll, I'll, I'll phrase it that way. It makes sense for us. right? And, and, and this is the case. This is, this is, nothing has changed for 2,000 years. Jesus still calling His people and He sends them out. Pack light, in other words, have faith that, that what I ask you to do, it's all going to happen. You're going to be taken care of. You're going to be provided for. That's why there's, we're not called to sit on the bench in Christianity. Uh, we're not called as Christ followers to be just like consumers. We show up, like going to a Zags game, sit up in the nosebleed seats, you know, binoculars to see what's going on. Oh, that's Timmy. Nice dunk. Uh, Clearing your binoculars, look at it again. That's not the, the picture for Christianity that we're called to. It's to be up in the nosebleed sections just watching the action of life going on below us. We're called, like these guys are called, to, to get out of the seats, onto the court of life, and then we're commanded on how to go about it. That's the picture that Jesus lays out for his guys. That's the message, that's the Marching orders, if it were, those are essentially our marching orders as well, as Jesus said to his disciples. This was post-resurrection out of John twenty twenty-one. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you as the Father has sent me. I'll also, I also send you. There's your uh, marching orders from the Lord. He's sending you. Who's he sending you to? Your neighbor, your friends, somebody down the street, somebody you work with, somebody you go to school with somebody that's new to the community, somebody that's hurting, somebody that needs uh, some help doing something. Who, who, You list for yourself, and it would be a good exercise for all of us in this room, to this week, to write down three, four, five areas, or people, or situations, where Jesus is, has been nudging you. Hey, hey what, what, why don't you just swing by? Why don't you be available to help so-and-so? Why, why don't you uh, be ready to share a word here you do that homework for yourself it's between you and the lord but the reality is is that he's sending us all he's called us to follow he's called us to go out and to minister the disciples didn't need any fancy equipment to preach a simple message too much stuff would simply get in the way of their urgent message traveling light kept them dependent upon god And they had to trust the Lord for everything that was going to happen. Their job as preachers, and yeah, I said preachers, it's not just for me. The truth is, is if you're a Christ follower sitting in a chair in this room, you're called to to preach and to share. It's just simply just means messenger. Simply just means messenger. We're we're all called. You might not all call be called to this, because maybe not we're not all as chatty as I am. Or as crazy as I am, like it's a number one fear in America, public speaking. Number two fear, death. So, so, so do the math. Like it's more uh, pleasurable to be the person in the casket than the person behind the pulpit sharing at the funeral. I say that in jest, but the statistics bear it out. But we're all called to be messengers. And it's a simple message. It's a simple message message they were to present the message and if their audience didn't receive it then they didn't receive it that was on them and a lot of times I know this is true of me I get hung up around the axle because I want to make sure that if I'm sharing something with somebody that they actually get it the reality is is we don't all get it and it's hard you want it like I'm a fix-it kind of guy so I want to stay with it I want to work the problem work the problem Work the problem. <laughs> Meantime, the other guy's like, go away from me, right? Like he's not ready to receive it. That's not necessarily on me or you. What is on us is to be the messengers that Jesus called. This rejection was prophesied about in the Old Testament, by the way. So this is not new. Isaiah 53 3 says he was speaking of the Messiah. He was despised and rejected by men. So so this is nothing new. What he's experiencing here in Nazareth is not new. It's not new to him. It's not a new concept. Didn't catch him by surprise. It didn't catch the father by surprise. Oh, my goodness, my guy's getting rejected. What am I going to do? And it's a panic in heaven, you know, for 30 seconds. It wasn't that at all. It was prophesied. God God put it in with the, the heart of Isaiah. He inspired through the Holy Spirit Isaiah to write these words down. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the grief... With grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. That has a lot of applications, but it definitely has a straight line application to the people of Nazareth. They didn't know who they had been raised with, so they had no esteem for the Lord, none whatsoever. John starts out his gospel, and in his opening comments in verse 11, The Gospel of John says, And he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Another straight-line reference to both Nazareth and to the fact that the Jewish people in large did not receive him. But as many as received him, the Word says, to him he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. My encouragement today, if the worship team wants to come on up, My encouragement today is simply be three things: be receivers, be receptive to God in your life, be receptive to the work of Christ in your life. And I'm going to tell you the hardest part up front. I'll will I'll t- I'll tell you exactly uh, what's going to happen the moment that that thing starts to starts to move. It's going to be scary. That's what's going to happen. Uh, fear is going to well up inside of you. Or maybe it's going to come through doubt and, 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 and discouragement from other people. But the minute that, 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 that you start receiving or you're, you, you, there's an open invitation to receive the work of Christ and the words of Christ in your life, fear sets in. Don't let it set into your life. You're at a crossroads where you can exercise faith or fear. We've talked about that many times. Be receivers of... Jesus, and if you're not currently a Christ follower as we stand here today, I would encourage you this. Today is a good day. Today is a good day. You, you don't have to believe what I have to say. Uh, I invite you to grab one of these. We will give you one. We'll give you one for each hand. You can have two. Dig into one of these and see simply, is this guy that that you know, farmer guy was talking about, is, is this guy, Jesus, who He says He is. That's my challenge for you. Be a receiver of Christ today. Second thing, then be a proclaimer of Jesus. We're not called to sit. We're called to serve. and it It's exactly what Jesus did in this passage in Mark 6. He commissioned His guys to go out and to serve people and to witness and to preach to people. Be a proclaimer of Jesus. That's what preaching is. is simply proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Hey, I don't, I, maybe that fear voice is welling up and saying, well, I, I wouldn't even know what to say. I have some great encouragement for you. Grab one of these. Open it up where there's red letters. Start sharing the red letters with other people. You don't have to create anything to say. Right? I don't have to create anything to say. I write down a few notes, but essentially all we do here every Sunday morning and all you do for the people that you care about and that you want to see come to faith in Christ is just share the message that's already there. You don't have to create anything new. In fact, if you read the last page of the book, there's a lot of warnings about creating something new. If you read the book of Galatians or First or and 2 Thessalonians, there's a lot of warnings about adding to what's already here. So you don't have to come up with a message. The message is already there. Just share it. Just share it. The third thing is, before we stand to worship, and maybe this is where we struggle the most as people that have been believers for some time, And the encouragement today is to just trust in Jesus' plan. Trust in the plan. Trust in the plan. Over all the years that I've coached, one of the things that about mid-season, I have to constantly remind my guys, and Silas is over here with a smirk on his face, so is Josiah, is trust in the process. Trust in the process, because it's going to get us there. If we stay with the game plan, now that's football. Same is true with Jesus. It's actually more true with Jesus than it is about football. If you can, if you guys can even imagine that being true, coming from me, right? It's even more true with Jesus. Just trust in the plan. Trust in His plan. He loves you. He cares for you. He has a good plan. Guess what? It's not going to be easy. Sometimes it's going to be really, really hard. Sometimes you're going to you're you're going to you're going to lose people, like Josue, losing his father. But he's trusting in God's plan for his life. He's moving forward in the ministry that he was called to, and he's serving Christ even with the loss. It's an awesome thing. It's a beautiful thing to see. Trust in God's plan. Don't overthink it. Oftentimes we get stuck, a little paralysis by analysis. Simply say as we turn to worship, when Jesus says go, go, when Jesus says preach, then preach. And when Jesus says pray, then pray. And, and I want you to know as we go, and maybe you've seen a little pattern, a little change around here in the last month or so, but there's been kind of a, a, a consistent flood to the front at times. People needing to get on their knees before the Lord, get their own heart right with the Lord, and then perhaps with other people. It's been a beautiful thing. It's been a beautiful thing to see. It's been a beautiful thing to witness. It's been a beautiful thing as one of the elders to walk through with you guys. And, and, and it's not my job to throw all the details of all those out there, but I want to say this, is that when Jesus says get up and pray, then get up and pray. Get up and pray with somebody. Get up and unload your own burdens on the Lord. Don't sit and soak. That's not the picture of Christianity. That's not the picture that we see in the gospel. So we just come to faith in Jesus. We believe and trust that He died for us on the cross, that He paid for all of our sins and, 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 and rose again the third day. And then we believe all of that, and then we spend 30, 40 years sitting on our rear ends. Our duff, as mom would say not the gospel message. It's not the Christian way. We need to be active participants in what God is doing. Let's worship.